It is the tale of three restaurants. We lived in Minnesota for five years. When we were living there, this is before our son was born, we, we really enjoyed going out to eat. It was, it was just a good time, you know, uh, didn't have to find a babysitter or anything like that. We left the wiener dogs at home, and, and we would go. We had wiener dogs. We had like three of them. Uh, but we would leave the wiener dogs at home, and then we would go out to dinner. I want to tell you about three different restaurants that we went to uh, going out to dinner. Uh, the first, we, we were interested in finding a new place. We wanted to find a new restaurant uh, that would have been, uh, it was really cool. We wanted to find a cool restaurant. We wanted to find a hip uh, restaurant place where we would definitely not fit in, but we would try to fit in, okay? So we're looking for the cool, hip restaurant. I go online, and I'm doing a search, a Google search for uh, cool, hip restaurants in St. Paul, Minnesota, and I find one. Listen to the name of this place. Tell me this doesn't sound cool. It was Chet's Taverna. Chet's Taverna. It sounds cool, right? I mean, and all the reviews I read were like, this is the cool, hip place to be. It's a new restaurant, and uh, we're, we're going to go. We're going to go check out Chet's Taverna. The food's supposed to be good. Everything's supposed to be great. The atmosphere's cool. You know, it's going to be really cool and hip, and we're going to go there. So we go down, and it's like in a warehouse district. So it's not like in a, you know, like a, a, a trendy suburb or anything. It's like really, really cool and hip because it's, it's like, deconstructionism and stuff like that that I don't understand. But anyway, it's a cool place to go. So we go there, we go inside the restaurant, and sure enough, filled with cool, hip, young people. And we're like, all right, we're cool, we're hip, we're young. Cool, man, this is awesome. The atmosphere was really cool. So we sit down at our table, server comes over, can I get you something to drink? Sure, take a diet, take a diet, great. And uh, they, uh, can we, what would you like to eat? And I'm looking through the menu, there's stuff, there's like venison on there. I'm like, cool, man, they don't serve venison at Applebee's. No, this place is cool. So I'll, I'll take the venison. That sounds really good. And, uh, Shannon ordered something that was vegetarian. There's lots of vegetarian items on the menu, of course, because it's cool and hip, right? So they bring us the, the food, and um, uh, th- there wasn't much of it. That's how cool this place was. The restaurant is so cool, they don't give you food. So we're sitting there. It's like, where's the food? This is the food. No, this is not the food. This is like the prelude to the food. Where's the food? So we're sitting there, and uh, uh, the, the atmosphere, like I said, was great. The, the food, not so much. So it kind of led to a bad experience. So bad, in fact, that we, when we left after finishing our three bites, uh, we went to the Outback Steakhouse for dinner. Um, not even kidding. We totally went to the Outback after not eating dinner at this place, this expensive, cool, hip restaurant. Let me tell you about a second restaurant uh, in, in Minneapolis that we went to. This was our favorite place to eat in the entire state of Minnesota. And uh, this is a place called Viva Mexico Cafe. Oh, God. It was so good. This place was amazing. Uh, just like the best. This is still, I think, to this day, your favorite restaurant in the, in the face of the planet. Is it not? Yes. She's shaking her head up and down. This is her favorite place to eat. And um, uh, the atmosphere, not so much. Okay. I mean, it's a few things on the wall. Uh, but really, it's kind of a storefront uh, type restaurant. Not, a, kind of a, not a, a hole in the wall, per se, but pretty much closer to a hole in the wall than Chet's Taverna. So uh, kind of a hole in the wall, but yet the food was outstanding. You know, uh, just amazing and lots of it. And, and for me, that's what I want. I want, when I go out to eat, when I, when I sit down, I want to know that there's food on the plate. This place had food on the plate. So uh, we really enjoyed the food. The atmosphere wasn't the best, but it was still, it was a decent experience, you know, because this atmosphere plus food equals the experience you're going to have, right? 
Let me tell you about a third place that we ate at. This was coming up in December of, 19, uh, December of 2002. It's coming up on our fourth wedding anniversary. I'm asking people at church, I'm asking people in the area, where should we go for our anniversary? You want to go to Jack's Cafe. Jack's Cafe? What? It sounds like a greasy spoon, like we're going to eat pancakes all day or something like that. Jack's Cafe? Well, it's not J-A-C-K apostrophe S Cafe. It's J-A-X Cafe. <laughs> so I called Jack's Cafe. Um, do you take reservations? Well, yes, we do. Okay, I'd like to reserve uh, a reservation for two of us for uh, December 26th. And uh, is this a special occasion, Mr. Cornette? Oh, <laughs> Mr. Cornette. The only person I'd ever heard called that in my life up until that point was my dad. So, Mr. Cornette, is this a special occasion? Why, yes, it is. It's our fourth wedding anniversary. Oh, very nice. Well, we'll look forward to seeing you on December 26th. Cool. All right. We walk in the place. We're dressed up because I was told you got to dress up. She's got a nice dress on. I've got a suit on. Imagine that. I know. It's been so long, right? So I got my suit on, and we walk into this place. This is Jack's Cafe. They have a maitre d'. <laughs> swanky, right? And this place is swanky. I mean, it is Swanksville. It's awesome. It's like 1930s gangster cool kind of place. This is awesome. And go out to the maitre d' and, uh, oh, are you Mr. and Mrs. Cornette? Well, yes, happy anniversary. Well, thank you, you know? And we go, we sit down at our table, and they got, like, this tuxedo, like, bow ties on and stuff. We sit down at our table, cloth tablecloths, cloth napkins, more silverware than you know what to do. Any human being knows what to do with. But there's all this silverware. It's like, this is awesome. This is amazing. Tip of the iceberg. We sit down at the table, and on the table are two matchbooks. Not that anybody uses matchbooks anymore, but there's two matchbooks that say, Sean and Shannon, four great years, embossed in them. <laughs> this place is awesome. The food, lots of food. The food was delicious. I mean, it was just great. And uh, live lobster tank and everything. Lobsters are like, don't eat me. And uh, it was just awesome. The place was great. It had great food. It had great atmosphere. And it really led to a great experience. One of the most expensive meals of my life, but it's something I will never forget. Because, again, great food, great atmosphere equals a great experience. Now, what does this have to do with I love my church? It's an equation. Great food plus great atmosphere equals a great experience. We're going to talk about that this morning and, and how this all figures in with the church. Um, you know, we've been talking about I Love My Church for the last several weeks. And uh, we were talking about how we've become part of a new community. We're part of a church family. That the church is not just a, a building. It's not a, um, a service. It's not a program or a set of programs. Rather, we are the church. God has called us to be the church, and that's our theme for 2015, is to be the church. And we're talking about what that means for us as how we live out our faith on a daily basis and how we uh, are the church. We don't just go to church. We don't just attend a church service. We are not part of a building. We are not part of a program. We are the church. And so as we end this series, we need to ask a question. How do people who are outside of our church family, how do people who are outside of these four walls, how do they become part of our church family? How do they become part of the church? How are they going to be the church along with us? How do people hear about and discover and experience the kingdom of God in their lives? So what we're going to talk about today. How do people hear and uh, discover and experience the kingdom of God in their lives? We're going to look at a passage that I preached on in January, but we're going to look at it from a different perspective this morning. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. If you want to look it up, I've got it up on the screen for you, or you can grab it in your Bible, Matthew 5, 13 through 16. 
This is Jesus teaching at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now, this is so very important. When it comes back to this question of how do people hear, discover, and experience the kingdom of God in their lives, it's, it's, it's really important that, to know that this, that God entrusts, God entrusts the kingdom experience of people to us. God uh, entrusts the, us to create the kingdom experience. So we are entrusted with this kingdom experience that we are to share with others. Um, it goes back to this equation. Great food plus great atmosphere equals great experience. And we're going to see how that works this morning. Um, we're going to talk about the two object lessons that Jesus gave. So let's talk about that for just a minute. We're going to talk about salt. Um, when you sit down for dinner, when you sit down at dinner, what's one of the first things you say? Could you please pass the... <laughs> Daylight saving time ended last night. <laughs> salt. Uh. No, you sit down and you say, could you please pass the salt? Would you please pass the How many of you ask for the salt before you ever try a bite? Anybody? Not really. Oh, that, that's better than the first service. First service, a bunch of salty people. But apparently here at second service, <laughs> we don't ask for the salt before we try the food. But I know a lot of people do. It's like, pass the salt. I don't know what it tastes like. I don't know how good it is. I just know that I need to shake this about 40 different times in order to get it tasting the way I want it to. Salt is a flavoring agent, but it also preserves. And uh, this, is, this is what we're talking about when we talk about great food. That as the church, we are the salt of the earth. We are to be the food. We are to salt and season the world in which we live. Okay, so great food. If we can be salty, we can be that great food. So just as salt is necessary to bring seasoning to food and to, and to preserve food, we are to influence the world for Jesus Christ. God has chosen us to season and preserve the world and to have a positive impact for Jesus in our world. Let's talk about light for just a second. In those days, a lot of houses were just one-room homes, and they didn't have a lot of windows. Um, and so uh, if, you, uh, had, uh, if you needed light, especially at night, houses were dark, you would light a lamp, and you would set it on a stand, and it would literally give light to the entire house. Just this one lamp would give light to the entire home. Um, light removes darkness, right? That's what, a, that's what light's job is to do, is to remove darkness. Uh, Jesus fills our lives with light. He is the light of our lives. He comes into our lives and he fills our lives with light. It is our job to reflect that light to the world, to share the light of Jesus with everyone, to shine his light into the lives of people who are living in darkness. The Holy Spirit works in us, in every aspect of our lives, to change us and transform us and make us more like Jesus. And when he does that, we are impacted, and we are to become impactors. We are to impact the world for Christ. God has entrusted us with the message of the gospel. He has entrusted us with the message of the cross. And we are to shine the light of Jesus everywhere we go. We are the experience. Oh, I'm sorry. We are the atmosphere, that, light, that lighted atmosphere that people are, 
are going to experience. And so if we are salty and our great food and we are light and we provide that great atmosphere, people are going to have a great experience of Jesus Christ. So we're talking about light. Uh, we're talking about salt plus light equals experience of God's kingdom, just as food and atmosphere equals an experience that you'll never forget. Kind of like we had at Jack's Cafe. Um, we bring the experience of God and the power of his word to the world. So how are we doing? How are we doing at, at, at providing a great experience for people? How are we doing it at shining the light of Jesus? How are we doing it at salting the earth? Ask yourself this question. Uh, do I like the community around me? Do I like the way things are going in my community? Do I like the way things are going in our world? How salty have you been? Are you being salt? Are you being light? Are you, if you look at the world and go, the world, I can't believe how dark it is. Are you shining your light? Because you can bring light into the world. You can bring salt to the earth. Are you shining your light? Are you seasoning the earth? Because that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about seasoning and shining. If you don't like how dark the world is, shine your light. If our world is bland and dark, we'd better get to salting it and lighting it. And how do we do that? The answer is love. By loving each other in the church and loving our neighbors, loving our world outside of the church walls, we love, love, love. We love the world in which we live. We love our church family. We love those outside of the church who don't know Christ, unchurched people. We love them too. That is our job. That is what Jesus expects us to do, is to love our neighbor as ourselves, to love one another as he has loved us. So grab your bulletin. We're going to fill in some blanks in the handy-dandy outline, page 3 of your bulletin. And we're going to fill in some blanks here. The first blank on your outline is people will experience Jesus' community when we live its values. People will experience Jesus' Um, community when we live its values. Now, in the passage before ours, we read about the Beatitudes in, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 12. And you cannot separate these values, you cannot separate the Beatitudes from being salt and light. Seasoning the world and shining the light are completely uh, incompatible with a lifestyle that does not match up with Jesus's community. It's not just what we say with our lips. It is not just a message we give with our tongues. It is about how we live our lives in the world. It's how we live. So I want to read for you Matthew chapter 5 verses 3 through 12. These are the characteristics and qualities of a person who loves their church. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When we hear the gospel, Jesus changes our lives. 
But we're, when we believe in him and repent from our sins, confess our faith and are baptized, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us and begins to change us from the inside out. The Holy Spirit transforms us. Transforms us. Jesus lives in us, and we reflect his light and his love to the world. When we put our faith and trust in Christ, not only are our sins forgiven, but we become ambassadors of Jesus. He changes us, and God entrusts us with his kingdom. The Beatitudes are a profile of a person who says, I love my church. Because it's more than just what we say. It's, it's who we are and how we are. It's who we are and how we are. The message that we declare with our lips must be lived out in our lives, in our actions, in our reactions, and in everything in between. The way that we live says a lot about the Savior we believe in. The way that we live says a lot about the Savior in whom we trust. You cannot separate the message from our lifestyles. Living Jesus' values in his community uh, his community values brings flavor to a bland and rotting world. We can bring light to darkness, my friends. We can bring seasoning to the world. We can shine the light of Jesus in our world. We can do it. And when we live out the values of Jesus' kingdom, people experience Jesus' kingdom. We can be effective agents of salt and light. It's what we're called to do, to be effective agents of salt and light. Now, the second blank on your outline is we live the values of Jesus' community in our daily ordinary. We live the values of Jesus' community in our daily ordinary. I want to tell you a story about a 19-year-old guy. Uh, a couple years ago, 2013, he nearly overdosed on salt. His friends dared him to drink a quart of soy sauce. Any of you heard this story? His friends dared him to drink a quart of soy sauce which is just gross in the sound of it, right? And not very smart because he nearly overdosed on salt. There was too much salt in his system. In fact, he was the first person to overdose on salt and not have lasting neurological impact. Unbelievable, right? Why would you do such a thing? But there's an important lesson to learn about salt. Is that if you give somebody too much salt, it causes them to gag almost. Let me tell you another story about a 15-year-old boy working at a French restaurant in Crown Point, Indiana. His name is Sean. He made $15 a day working in the kitchen. And I would help with sometimes making omelets and things like that uh, during lunch. At, uh, it was at Louis Bon Appetit, which was downtown Crown Point. And so I would go in, and, and I would put on my, my little coat, my little apron and stuff. And mostly I was there to wash dishes, but sometimes I got to help cook. But one day we're slammed. Kitchen's going crazy. Everybody's losing their minds. And I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm making omelets, right? And so I'm cracking eggs. I'm uh, putting cheese in them, and I'm putting pepper, and I'm putting salt. I'm just whipping them up, you know, putting them in the pan, flipping them over, and sending them out. About four minutes after I send out an omelet, a very angry Frenchman comes walking in the kitchen. Named Louis. What is this? He says. What is this? And he used a few choice words. Pardon my French. That's not French, Louis. I know French. I took French in high school. That's not French. What is this? So he's screaming at me about this. You try it. Okay, all right. I'm 15 years old. I take a bite of it. Oh, man. How much salt did I put? Oh. Oh. In my haste to make this omelet, I grabbed like a handful of it and just threw it in there. Apparently, because this was the saltiest thing I've ever had in my life. It was a very salty omelet. 
You fix it. Make another one. All right, I'll make another one. But the, the point is, is that too much salt can gag you, right? And too much light can blind you. How many of you remember being a teenager? Teenagers like to sleep, right? Yeah, right? Mom and dad ever walk in and flip the lights on when you're not getting out of bed? Yeah. How does that feel? Horrible. Not good. That's right. It's horrible. You walk in, flip the lights on, get up, right? No, none of you parents ever did that or do that, right? <laughs> Time to wake up. Come on. Wakey, wakey. Eggs and bakey. Let's go. And uh, just flip on the light. And it's blinding when that light hits you. Or when you're driving down the street, you're driving down like Main Street over here. You're driving down the street and somebody's got their brights on and they don't realize that they have their brights on. And it's just, it gets, the closer they get, the more blinding it gets. It's just too much light. It's just too bright. You know, we had a guy when I was at Indiana State. His name was Mad Max. And Mad Max would come down to campus uh, once a year and stand in the, in the center of campus and scream at people in Jesus' name. That's what he did. He would yell at people at the top of his lungs and say terrible, horrible things to people using very uh, descriptive terms uh, for young ladies that were not very polite. Like we're talking girls would walk by on their, uh, their boyfriends, their big football player boyfriends. They'd be walking by with their hand on their arm. And he would use words to describe them that should have gotten him killed as they're walking by in their short skirts and stuff. And, I mean, he would just yell at people and scream at them, you're going to hell, you're going to hell, and God hates you, and this and that. And it's like, what are you doing, man? What, 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 what is wrong with you? Why? I can guarantee, I can almost guarantee you, I can't guarantee you, but I can almost guarantee you that nobody fell in love with Jesus because of his preaching. Nobody said, man, I, I got to know that Jesus that he's talking about, the one who hates me so much. I got to know this Jesus who, who he's talking about, the one who can't stand me, the one who calls my, my girlfriend a word that begins with W, if you know what I mean. This is what he would do. It's like pouring a gallon of soy, so soy sauce down people's throats. It's like flipping on the lights like a 10,000-watt light bulb in front of people's eyes in the dark. People see a protest on TV, and they don't say, man, I, I want to know Jesus because of those people who hate all those other people. You know what? I, I've met a lot of people in, in the churches that I've served. I've met a lot of people who do make other people want Jesus by the way that they live by their kindness, by their gentleness, by their love for others. They, they make people want to know Jesus. How many of you are here this morning because somebody invited you here? Or maybe you're here this morning because, um, because you saw Jesus in someone else and said, hey, I want to know Jesus. I want to know who they're talking about. Anybody like that? That somebody else had an influence on you and, sa and you said, man, I want to know. I want to know who they're talking about. I want to know the difference that, that Jesus has made in their lives. You see, that's being salt. That's being light. And, and that's not going and, and, and standing in the, in the center of a campus and yelling at people. And that's not going standing on a street corner and preaching people. We're talking about the daily ordinary, living our lives as Christians each and every day at the office or in the mill, at school or in the gym, or maybe in a meeting or at the store. We're just living our lives each and every day, our ordinary lives, but exemplifying the life of a Christ follower, exemplifying the life of somebody who loves Jesus. And, and I know that none of us are perfect, but we all got a long way to go. 
And that's what grace is for. Because God in his grace forgives us when we fall short. He forgives us when we blow it. He forgives us when we mess up. That's what grace is for. But grace also reminds us that we're saved. And we need to live like it. We need to live a life of faithfulness. We need to live a life of holiness and purity and righteousness. So think about your daily routine for just a minute. Maybe you're sitting in a class or maybe you're sitting at work. Think about your classmates or your coworkers. Or think about your neighbor, the person who lives behind you or the person who lives across the street or next door. Think about uh, the people you run into at Ultra or Strax. How are you shining the light? How are you being salt? Are you being gagging or blinding? Or are you seasoning and shining? That's the question I got for you today. Are you, are you gagging and blinding or are you seasoning and shining? People are going to experience Jesus and his kingdom through you and through me. They're going to experience Jesus in the normal moments of life. And you know what? Those normal moments can become extraordinary moments when the light bulb goes off and they understand that Jesus loves them and that he died for them and that he wants to spend eternity with them, that he wants to give them hope and peace and joy and unconditional love. That's when those normal moments become extraordinary moments, when those ordinary moments become extraordinary. Because people will see and they will experience, they will taste and see that the Lord is good. And they experience that from you and me. The last blank on your outline is those who have experienced Jesus will help others experience Jesus. That's our job, is to help people experience Jesus. Now listen to Matthew 5, 14 through 16, when Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I, I, I really hope that you've caught over the last five weeks in this I Love My Church series that the church is, is not about a building, and it's not about a program, and it's not about a service. The church is us. We are the church. And, and I love my church means that I, I'm about relationships. First and foremost, my relationship with God. And then I'm about my relationship with y'all. And you're about your relationship with me and with one another. We're all about relationships. And loving our church means that we love people outside of our church. It means we build relationships with people outside of our church. Do you remember our main verse from week one, John 13, 35? By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's about relationships that we have with each other. How can people observe us if we're not out in the community? How can they know that we love each other if we're never out in the community? If we keep it all inside, if we keep it all in here, how can people know that we're a loving church? How can people know that we love God? How can people know that we love each other? How can people know that we love them if we never leave the church building? We cannot be seasoning and shining when we're separated from a world that is dark and bland and dying. If we're never out in our community, we can't help people follow Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. 
the things that we do here are good. Worship services and fellowship events and programs and Bible studies, those are all good. They help us become a stronger community of faith. They help us. They help us love Jesus more. They help us worship Him better. But if we're only strengthening our community, if we're only keeping the love here, then we've failed because we're only doing half the job. We need to live out our values as we connect with our world. And if you never interact with people outside of our church, if you never interact with people in the world, we fail. Here's a question for you. If our church ceased to exist, this is a tough question, but if our church ceased to exist, if we weren't here anymore, would the world miss us? Would Griffith miss us? Would, Griff, would Griffith be a darker place because we weren't here? Would, would the world be a, a, a darker place because we weren't here? Would they miss us? Would they say, oh, no, don't go. Don't leave. Don't shut your doors. We need you because you shine Jesus into, into the world. Would the world even notice that we weren't here? That's the question that I want to ask this morning. We have to be a church that would be missed. And not for our own reputation's sake. Not because we've been here for almost 100 years, but because our community is experiencing Jesus through our church family. When they experience us, they're experiencing Jesus. That's why we're necessary. And it all goes back to helping people follow Jesus. If we're only helping churched people follow Jesus, we're doing half the job. We need to help unchurched people follow Jesus Christ. We need to help people who know him, follow him better. And we need to help people who don't know him get to know him and get to meet him. And we do this by getting involved in our community as well as in our church. And you know what? I think we do a pretty good job of this, but we can do better. Uh, a couple weeks ago, they were having daddy-daughter dances at the elementary schools here in town. It did my heart so much good because I would see pictures of the men in our church taking their daughters to these daddy-daughter dances. That's a great opportunity to rub shoulders with people who may not know Jesus is by being involved in your school. Or, or maybe, uh, you know, you're a softball coach or your kid plays soccer or you're involved in Little League in some way. That's a great way to know people and to meet people and to rub shoulders with people who may not know Jesus because they've got to see Jesus in you or else they're never going to meet him. You know, we have this opportunity every single summer, Little League, right here, you know, hundreds of people every day showing up right at our doorstep. How can we reach the people who don't know Jesus, who are right outside our door parking in our parking lot, except for Sundays, 9 and 11? Anyway, um, subliminal message, right? But how can we meet people and interact with people who don't know Jesus if we won't get out of the church building? It is not the time to circle the wagons and become a holy huddle or a spiritual club. That's not what time it is. The time is now to get out in our community and to share the gospel in the way that we live, in the message from our lips, everything in our lifestyles, in everything we do to share the gospel, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. We've got to live out our faith each and every day. We cannot act like an unbeliever and expect people to see Jesus. Can't do it. We have a golden opportunity to share the gospel. And we got a great opportunity coming up. we got two Sundays coming up. Palm Sunday. We're going to have uh, the kids do the Parade of Palms at the beginning of each service. But we're also going to have the sun Palm Sunday brunch. Invite a friend to come for Palm Sunday brunch. 
or invite your neighbors to come for Easter Sunday, for Resurrection Sunday morning. We're going to have a great time. We're going to have a great worship service for Resurrection Sunday. We want you to invite your friends to Easter service. And invite your neighbor. Say, hey, if you're not doing anything for Easter, we have a great church service. And I'd love, I think you'd really enjoy it. I'd love for you to come check out our church on Easter Sunday. I'll give you a ride if you want to. I'll bake you a ham if you'd like. You don't have to bake them a ham, but, you know, it doesn't never hurts. Food plus atmosphere equals experience. We'll provide the atmosphere. You provide the food. We need to invite our neighbors. We need to invite our coworkers. We need to live out our lifestyle of Christianity everywhere we go. Because a lot of churches have a, lot of, have a bad reputation of being bad neighbors. A lot of churches have a bad reputation in their communities. I don't want to be that church. I want to have a good reputation in our community. I want, to have, I want people to have a good experience of Jesus Christ when they interact with people from our church. When they see that sweatshirt that says uh, Griffith First Christian Church, when they see the I Love My Church wristband, when they see your I Love My Church t-shirt, and they say, well, where do you go to church? And you say, well, I'm part of the Griffith First Christian Church. I, I, I pray that the, when, they, when, they say, when they hear those words, they go, man, I've heard a lot of good things about that church. I've heard a lot of good things. And I've had people tell me, I've heard a lot of good things about your church. I think I'm going to come check it out. I've heard a lot of good things about GFCC. I think I'm going to check it out. And encourage them to do just that. May we never have the, op- the, the, the reputation of gagging our world or blinding our world. Instead, may we be seasoning our world and shining Jesus' light into our world so that the world will believe and be saved and they will know the joy that we have as followers of Jesus.